Welcome once again, my friends, to Word in a Weapon podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 2. This is a podcast that's easy to get into, get out of, and get on with your day that gives you a word from the Word, something that came into my life in the last days or weeks that impacted me as a Christian, either from Bible studies or a sermon that I read or heard or something that just came up so frequently I know God was giving it to me so I could give it to you. And then I give you a weapon, something you can take with you to have on your toolbox, on your tool belt, as a Christian warrior operating in the times that we are currently living in. It's a tip, trick, or technique that you can implement in your day-to-day operations as a Christian warrior. So let's get on with it. Today's word comes from the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke 10, Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? He responds that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was then immediately asked, who counts as a neighbor? And he responds with a parable or a story lesson that is an example for us in everyday life. The parable, of course, tells us the tale of the Good Samaritan, and that is told to us in Luke 10, verses 25 through 37, just like this. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your mind, your soul, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Then the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So in that story, friends, a question is asked by a lawyer. Now, as a police officer, you would think I could come up with any number of lawyer jokes to insert here. And I've heard a ton of them over the years, but I would probably spend just a long bit of time trying to figure out which one is my favorite. So that may be just for another podcast. It'd probably just take me way too long. However, the question is a valid question to be asked, especially to the Christ who reward us with eternal life. We don't want to necessarily say the lawyer shouldn't be asking the question, but we do understand the question isn't asked for the right reasons. I like to think Jesus wanted to roll his eyes at the question because I'm certain that he knew the heart of the man and the true reason for asking the question. However, Jesus being Jesus wasn't going to do that. The lawyer asked the question not for the purpose to be instructed, but for the purpose of testing Christ. And Christ knew this. But this brings up a good point. Are we properly aligned when we are studying God's words? Do we approach it with the right purpose? Sadly, I think we know this, that some people are reading God's word for the purpose to refute it and maybe find loopholes. They want to attack the Bible, and the only way to do that is to read the book. So they do that for the wrong purpose, and they seek out his word for the wrong reasons. 
So when the lawyer asked the question, Jesus does one of the many things that I love about him. Now, there's so many things that I love about Jesus. And if you ever get an opportunity to watch the show, The Chosen, that represents who I think Jesus is in my mind and reading about him. Jesus does this. He doesn't answer the question right away. He answers with another question. Now, how many times have you been asked a question, but you knew the answer, but you paused to ask another question? That's typically not what we do, but this is what my Lord and Savior does. He asks another question. He says, what is written in the law? You see, it's my belief that in everything Jesus wants us to know and keep his word and look into our hearts and minds for the answers. So then the lawyer answered Jesus this way. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then, almost right away, the lawyer attempts to test Jesus again with asking another question. Who is my neighbor? We can now start to see what the lawyer really wanted from the conversation. He wanted to justify himself and show everyone how righteous he is, how pious he is. At this point, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm, I'm thinking, look at this fool trying to test Jesus. He's about to be schooled with some divine knowledge. Maybe that's why I wasn't a disciple. Now, it's important to know that the Jews during this time, they define neighbor as those who are in close proximity, and they, of course, consider fellow Jews as their neighbors. Jesus goes into the famous parable that I read to you when he's asked this question, and there are some obvious nuggets to glean from this. The traveler was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Back in those days, Jericho was a terrible place, and the closer you got to it, the more likely you were to encounter thieves. So this traveler was beat up and robbed by thieves, and we can guess, we know from the story, that he was left for dead. The first person now in the story that we hear about coming is the priest. The priest, the, the priest is the first one that we hear about, and our first thought might be that the priest will obviously help this injured person. Of all the people, certainly the priest will help him. But what happened? The priest, when he saw the injured man, passed by on the other side of the road. Almost, you can think, and maybe disgust at seeing this person naked and beaten on the side of the road. Now, there might be any number of reasons for this. It could be an integrity issue. Hey, no one's around to see that I'm being priestly, so no way to be recognized for this good deed. Uh, or it could be that the traveler didn't look like he belonged to the right family or the right group. Maybe he didn't tithe in the right ways. Heck, maybe he was afraid to defile himself. Maybe the priest was afraid to defile himself. He saw the man, and being unsure if the man was dead or alive, he would have defiled himself if he touched the man in case the man is dead. So to avoid any inconvenience, he simply went to the other side. However, the thing the, pre the priest missed is the part of the law that he should have known that calls for mercy. Even if he would have def been defiled or unclean, he should have compassion and mercy for the injured man to at least check to see if he was alive or dead, instead of passing to the other side. Then we quickly learn that another man came, a Levite, and just like the priest, the Levite passed by on the other side of the road. Now what some may not know is that Levites were also priests, and they weren't just priests, they were warrior priests. Although, although they did have a righteously violent past, God put the violent nature of the Levites to good use. We can see this in a, in a couple different areas of the Bible. Not only would the priests among them slaughter animals on a regular basis for sacrifice, but also all the Levites would guard the tabernacle or temple in the cities of refuge. Yahweh ordained and scattered the Levites throughout Israel in order to guard his worship. So, of course, in our understanding, we would expect that the priest and the Levite should have been the first people and most expected to help the injured man. You would think that they would be obligated to do this by the offices, the respected offices that they held, uh, which would be for help and for service. 
Much to the surprise of Jesus' audience, though, these two people, however, do not help the injured man. To put this in context for, uh, context for us today, what if the priest was your pastor? And what if the Levite was your deacon, your elder, or a minister, or even the leader of your church safety and security team? How would you feel then? Now here is where the hero in our story enters, the Good Samaritan. Here is where the flow of the story changed for everybody that was listening. The Good Samaritan, he saw the man and he had compassion. It never happened to him to consider that the nationality, what the nationality of the injured man was. He didn't care the race, creed, or color of this person that was needing help. He didn't just say thoughts and prayers, and he didn't text him praying with praying emoji hands to make him feel better. No, instead, the Samaritan, he took the time to tend to the wounds of the injured man using his own resources, his essential oils and wine. Big shout out to all the doTERRA essential oil users. Put him on his own animal, meaning the Samaritan had to walk, and brought him to an inn. Then, at the end, he paid for his continued care. A complete stranger owning the responsibility of someone who he didn't really know. The Samaritan exemplifies someone who takes care of his neighbor. At the end, the lawyer cannot even readily admit his shortcomings in this. When asked who a neighbor to the injured man was, instead of answering the Samaritan, as he knows it was, he answered the one who showed mercy. You know, if I was a disciple then, I think I would have smirked and while trying to resist the urge to say, you got served, son. But again, that's why I wasn't a disciple. I need a little grace in my life. Heck, I would, I would have needed a lot of grace if I was traveling with Jesus. You can bet your life on that. So friends, understand this. Jesus wants us to do the same thing. Our neighbors are not only the people near us, the people within our community, the people we fight with on Facebook, the people in our nation and in other nations, and even the people within our church congregation. Those are our neighbors. When people are in need, our motto should be adopted from what State Farm tells us. Like a good neighbor, insert your name there, is here. Break through boundaries and barriers and be a good neighbor. So now let's break into the weapon side of the podcast. Talking about emergency situations. Emergency situations and disasters can take many forms. Hurricanes, floods, fires, earthquakes, car accidents, and missing person situations are not just the makings of things that we see on television and in news stories. These events can occur at any time. If you've been operating in the world for any length of time, you've probably come across a disaster or an emergency or a crisis. The first responders to an accident or emergency are often not trained professionals, but citizens and community members who are already on scene when the action happens. No matter where or what kind of incident it is, paramedics and police officers tend to always use the term bystander. But bystander is a very passive word, especially to a Christian warrior. It means what it says, that the person is standing by, simply near what is happening. A bystander doesn't help. He watches. A bystander isn't useful. They just get in the way. The thing is, most people don't really act that way, though. They jump in and help when the going gets tough. And this is very, very, very true of Christian warriors. A witness comes forward and tells authorities what he saw. A good Samaritan pulls the injured to safety or tries to stop the bleeding. Whatever needs to be done usually gets done by the person on the street or the patient's co-workers. Most people don't just stand by. Your life and the lives of others may depend on your ability to respond during an emergency situation. As a true first responder to an emergency or accident scene, you may be the only one to provide information assistance to authorities, professional first responders arrive. If you've followed me for any amount of time, you're familiar with the idea of these two kinds of first responders. The first 
is the professional first responder. These are the folks who come to our aid when we need help, when we call 911. We're talking about police officers, firefighters, emergency medical technicians, paramedics. As great as, it, as great as it is to be recognized as the people who lead the charge to help those in need, the reality is that first responders, first responders often aren't first. That's where the second kind of responder comes in, where I think the most important responder comes in, true or immediate first responders. It's the person, usually without training or, or the professional training, who steps in to do whatever he or she can do to stop the bad things from happening and start doing the good things that need to happen. The true first responder is already helping before the professional first responders have been notified of a problem. It's the true first responder who is going to do chest compressions when paramedics walk through the door or pull up to the scene. That's what they're going to see. The true first responder is you. It's the one who called 911 in the first place. The true first responder will likely determine the outcome of an, of an event before the professional first responders arrive. Listen to that again, friends. The true first responder, you, will likely determine the outcome of an event before the professional first responders arrive. A first responder must ensure, first and foremost, their own safety before helping others. But in telling you this, the following actions can help you manage the situation if you are the first on the scene of an emergency or disaster. Number one, observe. First, we want to evaluate the situation. Are there injured people? Are there fallen power lines? Is there physical damage to nearby buildings or other structures? In addition to assessing the situation, you need to identify any potential dangers to yourself or other first responders as a result of the emergency. We do not want to put ourselves in a position where someone else has to come rescue us. Call for help. We don't assume that someone else will call the authorities or calling 911. Call immediately and share your observations. Also ask others in the area for help, especially if there are injured persons involved. Recruit people to your response. However, let's be cautious, though, we're not overwhelming the 911 system. If you can verify that someone already called or is calling, there's no need for additional calls unless you have pertinent information to add. If we're going to start caring for a victim, we need to remember A, B, C, D. Very easy, A, B, C, D. Number one, A, airway. Make sure the individual's airway is open and unimpaired. Number two, breathing. B, is the victim breathing? Number, C, number three is circulation. C, does the victim have a pulse? Are they bleeding? And the last one, D, delicate, be careful. Any mishandling of the neck or lower back after impact or injury can cause significant problems. It is sometimes enough just to stabilize a patient at their neck and wait for professional first responders to arrive on scene. In all of this, we want to make sure that we stay calm. Now, that is sometimes easier said than done. In order to help the situation and assist those involved, you need to remain calm, make rational decisions, and stay focused. If you've been through any of my training, I talk, I talk about the two different sides of the brain. There is the logical thinking side of the brain, and there is the lizard side of the brain, that side of the brain that devolves or we devolve into in crisis if we don't have the ability to stay calm and focus on rational decisions. One way to remain calm is to shift your emotions from scared to confident and ask yourself why you're going to intervene. Tell yourself that you are capable and you will do the best job possible. Another way to stay calm is to ensure that you quickly rehearse in your head what you're going to do. Draw on your training and your past experiences to help you stay focused and calm. We also want to make sure that we're securing the area. If you've located an injured person or discovered a dangerous situation, you'll want to secure the area to the extent that it is possible. If possible, direct traffic or pedestrians away from the area and protect the injured. Remember that every scene could develop into a crime scene where preserving every piece of evidence possible is absolutely necessary.
Keeping out looky-loos and unnecessary people and vehicles from contaminating at a crime scene may go a long way to determining the cause and maybe developing any leads for suspects if necessary. While we're doing this, we also want to be thinking uh, consciously about preparing for emergency crews arrival. We don't want to leave the area. We make sure there's ample room for emergency vehicles to arrive. This might mean directing traffic or moving debris. One of the things that I typically recommend is that you have an emergency high visibility vest, that, that bright highlighter green or highlighter orange vest in your car. It's a great way to establish that you are there to help, and it helps you to be recognized by traffic that might be moving in the area. You want to make sure that you don't become another victim at the scene by getting in the way of emergency responding vehicles, just as you don't want to impede their access to the area or the scene. Gathering information, last but not least, let's ask witnesses to stay and give a report to authorities. If they can't stay for whatever reason, then we want to make sure that we jot down their name and a phone number that police can contact them at. Ask injured persons to give their names until emergency crews arrive, then they'll take over that. Provide as much information as you can to the emergency responders, the professional first responders. Additionally, you may be the best witness, especially if you are one of the first on the scene of an incident. A cell phone video or images uh, from the fresh scene may be the evidence that police need to reconstruct an accident or preserve evidence that may get disturbed by responding emergency vehicles and services. When the timing is right, give your name and all contact information to police. Let them know you have pictures of the scene. And while they likely won't get them from you right then, they'll, like, they'll probably follow up with you to gather that evidence later. When you do that, you don't want to turn over your phone to them. Make sure you download all the pictures and give them to them on a disk or a thumb drive. That will be most helpful. So Warriors, as always, share this podcast as far and as wide as possible. If it blessed you in some way, then bless somebody else in your life with this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on this podcast, if you have something to add or you want to be part of Word and a Weapon, please email us at admin at protectorstoolkit.com, admin at protectorstoolkit.com. And as always, Warriors, what I always say, stay safe and keep them safe. <laughs>